Supreme Court Update The Crown Against Gubbins 2018 SCC 44 The judgment of Chief Justice Wagner, Justice Isabella, Moldaver, Karakatsanis, Gascon, Brown, Rowe, and Martin was delivered by Justice Rowe. Part 1 Overview Paragraph 1 these appeals deal with the scope of the Crown's disclosure obligations with respect to maintenance records of breathalyzer instruments. These instruments are used to determine the blood alcohol content of suspected drunk drivers. It is important that these instruments provide accurate results. These cases deal with what information is relevant to assessing the reliability of these instruments. Are the maintenance records part of first-party disclosure, subject to inclusion in the Crown's standard disclosure package? Or are these records third-party records, which require the defense to demonstrate their likely relevance before an order for disclosure can be made? 2. Courts have provided inconsistent answers to the foregoing questions. These reasons deal with two appeals in which the two trial judges came to different conclusions as to whether breathalyzer maintenance records should be disclosed by the Crown. For the reasons that follow, I find that such records are subject to third-party rather than first-party disclosure. On the evidence in both cases, the defense failed to show that maintenance records meet the requisite threshold for third-party disclosure. Accordingly, I would dismiss these appeals. Part 2. Facts. Paragraph 3. Both accused in this appeal were charged with impaired driving and with driving over 80 contrary to section 253 sub 1 sub a and sub b of the criminal code. Mr. Valent Good and Mr. Gubbins provided breath samples. Mr. Valent Good's samples showed blood alcohol readings of 130 milligrams percentage and 120 milligrams percentage. Mr. Gubbins' samples showed two readings of 120 milligrams percentage. 4. Each of these breath samples was analyzed using an, quote, approved instrument, end quote, as required by section 254 sub 1 of the criminal code. The Crown led expert evidence that described in detail the operation of the instruments, including that they perform internal and external diagnostic tests at the time each breath sample is taken in order to ensure accuracy of the results. When a breath sample is obtained, the procedure is as follows. A air blank. The instrument purges any alcohol remaining in it. It then tests the alcohol content of the ambient air. The results of this test should be zero, but if it is different, the instrument sets a baseline that eliminates the effect of any ambient alcohol on the test results. If there is an excessive amount of ambient alcohol, the instrument will stop and the test will be cancelled. B. Calibration check or alcohol standard test. The instrument is tested against an alcohol vapor of known concentration from a certified sample. The sample generally has a concentration equal to 100 milligrams percentage of alcohol in the blood. The instrument must accurately measure the concentration within 10%, i.e. the result must be between 95 milligrams percentage and 105 milligrams percentage. If the instrument fails to perform within this range, the test will be cancelled. C. Air blank. The instrument performs a second air blank test in order to purge any residual alcohol vapor left from the sample used in the calibration check. 
D breath sample, first test. The accused provides a deep lung breath sample into the instrument, which measures the concentration of alcohol present. The instrument is designed to slightly underestimate blood alcohol concentration. E, air blank. The instrument performs another air blank check to purge any alcohol vapor. F, breath sample, second test. After 15 minutes, the process, steps A through E above, is repeated. The readings from the two breath samples are rounded down to the lowest 10, i.e. a reading of 99 milligrams percentage is recorded as 90 milligrams percentage. The results of the two samples must be within 20 milligrams percentage of each other. The lower of the two results will be used. See section 258 sub 1 sub c of the criminal code. If the two results are not within the foregoing range, further breath samples will be taken. 5. Each step in this sequence generates printed results. A fail in any step is indicated in printouts. For both Mr. Valentgood and Mr. Gubbins, the instruments indicated no problems. None of the internal controls were triggered. The results were within the accepted ranges indicated above. The printouts generated at the time of the tests indicated that the instruments functioned properly. 6. The Crown provided Mr. Valentgood with a disclosure package that included documents created during the investigation, as well as other documents certifying that various components used in the testing process had been tested, maintained, and certified. The documents included in this package were a. an intoxilizer 5000C operational check sheet, b. an intoxilizer 5000C test record, and c. the certificate of analyses. These records provide details of the test results of the breath samples, as well as the results of the calibration checks. Also included was information about the officers involved, the date and time of the tests, and the particulars of the instruments used. The check sheet included the analyst's handwritten notes of his or her observations of the accused conditions at the time of testing. The test record is a printout from the instrument, signed by the technician who operated it. The certificate of analyses is the official record of the test results. It indicates the blood alcohol reading. The certificate of analyses also gives notice that it will be used as evidence in court. See section 258 sub 1 sub e and sub g and section 258 sub 7 of the criminal code. 7. Other documents in the Crown Disclosure Package included a. the Intoxilizer 5000 Simulation Alcohol Solution Log b. the Intoxilizer 5000C Test Record for Alcohol Solution Change c. the Certificate of Annual Maintenance d. the Certificate of Annual Maintenance for the Standard Alcohol Solution Breath Simulator e. the Intoxilizer 5000C Use and Calibration Check Log and f. the Certificate of an Analyst alcohol standard. These documents provide particulars of the alcohol solution, when its use commenced, when it was changed, as well as when it was tested and found to be suitable, and the instrument itself, when it was sent for annual maintenance, and the details of each time the instrument was calibrated. 8. In addition, the Crown indicated that it would provide on request the RCMP operational manual for the instrument, as well as the qualified technician's designation. 9. Mr. Gubbins was provided a disclosure package as described above, save it did not include any documents relating to the maintenance of the instrument in question. 10. 
Both Mr. Valentgood and Mr. Gubbins requested additional disclosure. Mr. Valentgood requested, one, the maintenance records for the breathalyzer instrument for the past two years, two, maintenance and inspection records for the external stimulator, and three, records showing the cumulative uses of the alcohol standard for one month period before testing. The Crown produced a basic maintenance log. Upon inspecting the records, Mr. Valentgood noted the machine had been sent for repairs the day after he was charged, two months before that, and again two months before that. Mr. Valentgood requested detailed reports of the work performed on these dates. The Crown refused, on the basis that these maintenance reports were third-party records and were not relevant. In response, Mr. Valentgood applied for disclosure in the Alberta Provincial Court. 11. Mr. Gubbins demanded disclosure of the maintenance records for the instrument from the time it was imported into Canada and first put into use. The Crown refused to provide the requested disclosure on the basis that these were third-party records held by the contractor that maintained the equipment and that they did not meet the required threshold of relevance. Mr. Gubbins brought an application for a stay of proceedings, arguing that his rights under Section 7 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms were infringed by the Crown's refusal to provide the additional disclosure that he had requested. Part 3. Judicial History Subpart A. Provincial Court of Appeal The Crown against Valentgood, March 11, 2014 Paragraph 12 In dealing with Mr. Valentgood's disclosure application, Provincial Court Judge Golden noted that there was disagreement in the case law regarding disclosure of maintenance records. The Alberta Court of Appeal in The Crown Against Kilpatrick, 2013, ABCA 168, dismissed an application for leave to appeal from a decision which had held that maintenance records were subject to first-party disclosure, 2013, ABQB 5. Provincial Court Judge Golden noted that the Court of Appeal decided in Kilpatrick without evidence being adduced as to the relevance of the maintenance records. By contrast, the Alberta Provincial Court in The Crown Against Sutton, 2013 ABPC 308, had received expert evidence. The judge in Sutton concluded that the maintenance records were not relevant, thus they did not meet the threshold for first-party disclosure. Provincial Court Judge Golden favored the approach in Sutton. He concluded that the maintenance records were not relevant. Accordingly, he dismissed the application for disclosure, and Mr. Valentgood was later convicted. Subpart B, Provincial Court of Alberta, The Crown Against Gubbins, 2014, ABPC 195. Paragraph 13. Provincial Court Judge Shafter dealt with Mr. Gubbins' application for a stay of proceedings under Section 7 of the Charter, based on the Crown's refusal to provide additional disclosure. Provincial Court Judge Shafter took the view that she was bound by Kilpatrick. As well, she noted that in the Crown against McNeil, 2009 SCC 3, the Court held that police discipline records were first-party records, as they were relevant to assessing the credibility of the officer, despite not being quote, fruits of the investigation, end quote. By analogy, the maintenance records are relevant to the reliability of the approved instrument. The requested disclosure was, therefore, first party. Accordingly, the Crown should have disclosed the records sought. Provincial Court Judge Shafter concluded that a breach of Section 7 was made out. 
given that Mr. Gubbins' driving license was suspended pending the outcome of the trial, and that this suspension would continue if she ordered an adjournment, Provincial Court Judge Shafter was satisfied that Mr. Gubbins would be prejudiced. She entered a stay of proceedings. Subpart C, Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta, 2015, ABQB 206, paragraph 14. Mr. Valent Good appealed his conviction. The Crown appealed Mr. Gubbins' stay of proceedings. The appeals were heard jointly before Justice Kenny, sitting as the summary conviction appeal judge. In her view, it was problematic for the Crown to have to tender expert evidence in every case to demonstrate that the maintenance records are irrelevant. These records may or may not meet the threshold for relevancy. In Justice Kenny's view, it was a waste of judicial resources to relitigate this issue repeatedly, especially given this court's ruling in the Crown against Saint-Ange-Lamoureux, 2012, SCC 57, determined conclusively, in her view, that maintenance records are first-party records. She dismissed the Crown's appeal against Mr. Gubbins' stay of proceedings and ordered a new trial for Mr. Valentgood. Subpart D, Court of Appeal of Alberta, 2016, ABCA 358. Subsection 1, per Justice Slatter, Justice Berger concurring. Paragraph 15. Justice Slatter, with Justice Berger concurring, allowed the appeals. He took the view that the maintenance records are not, quote, fruits of the investigation, end quote, to be disclosed routinely. Rather, they are third-party records subject to the procedure set out in The Crown Against O'Connor, a 1995 Supreme Court decision. Maintenance records differ from time-of-test records. The latter shows how the device was operating when the breath sample was taken. Time-of-test records are relevant. They can also be the basis for an argument for further disclosure. Based on the expert evidence on behalf of the Crown, Justice Slatter concluded that a fail reading is not evidence of a malfunction in the instrument. Rather, a fail indicates that the instrument is functioning properly by alerting the technician that there is a problem. Thus, a fail on an earlier or later occasion than the test of the breath samples of the accused that leads to a maintenance of the instrument tells us nothing about whether the instrument was properly functioning on the occasion when the breath sample of the accused were tested. Rather, it is relevant, rather, what is relevant is whether a fail occurred in the test sequence, described above in paragraph 4, that produced the results for the breath sample of the accused. No fail indicates the instrument was functioning properly. In the result, Justice Slatter reinstated Mr. Valent Good's conviction. He set aside Mr. Gubbins' stay of proceedings and remitted the case for a new trial. Subpart 2 Per Justice Robotham, dissenting. Paragraph 16. In Justice Robotham's view, this court's decision in saint ange lamoureux provided authoritative guidance that maintenance records are relevant and should form part of the standard disclosure package. The maintenance records could be the basis for an application to obtain further and more detailed maintenance records. In Mr. Valentgood's case, the trial judge erred by not ordering disclosure of the maintenance records. Justice Robotham would have dismissed the Crown's appeal in Mr. Valentgood's case. With respect to Mr. Gubbins' case, Justice Robotham would have allowed the appeal in part, as Mr. Gubbins had later received disclosure of the complete service records which he had sought. Accordingly, she would have lifted the stay and remitted Mr. Gubbins' case to trial. 
Part 4, Issues. Paragraph 17. These appeals require the court to consider which disclosure regime applies to maintenance records of breathalyzer instruments. The court must decide whether the requisite threshold for disclosure has been met in these cases. Part 5, Analysis. Subpart A, Stinchcomb and O'Connor. Two disclosure regimes. Paragraph 18. In the Crown against Stinchcomb, a 1991 Supreme Court decision, this court held that the Crown has a duty to disclose all relevant, non-privileged information in its possession or control, whether inculpatory or exculpatory. This is referred to as first-party disclosure. The Crown's duty to disclose corresponds to the accused's constitutional right to disclosure of all material which meets the Stinchcomb standard. See the Crown against Dixon, 1998 Supreme Court decision. The purpose of disclosure is to protect the accused's charter right to full answer and defense, which will be impaired where there is a, quote, reasonable possibility that the undisclosed information could have been used in meeting the case for the Crown, advancing a defense, or otherwise making a decision which could have affected the conduct of the defense, end quote. That's from the Crown against Dixon. 19. The Crown's duty to disclose is triggered upon a request, and it does not require an application to the court. See Stinchcomb. The duty is ongoing. New information must be disclosed when it is received. See Stinchcomb. The Crown's duty to disclose is not absolute. The Crown considers relevance and the rules of privilege. Where the Crown refuses to disclose evidence for reasons of privilege or irrelevance, the defense can request a review. In such an instance, the burden is on the Crown to justify its refusal to disclose by showing that the information is, quote, clearly irrelevant, end quote, or privileged. See Stinchcomb. 20. The Crown, for the purposes of Stinchcomb, does not refer to all Crown entities, but only to the prosecuting Crown. See McNeil. See also the Crown against Kessnell, 2014, SCC 46. All other Crown entities, including the police, are third parties for the purpose of disclosure. They are not subject to the Stinchcomb regime. This is because the law cannot impose an obligation on the Crown to disclose material that it does not have or cannot obtain. See McNeil. 21. In McNeil, this court clarified that, quote, the Crown cannot explain a failure to disclose relevant material on the basis that the investigating police force failed to disclose it to the Crown, end quote. The Crown has a duty to make reasonable inquiries when put on notice of material in the hands of police or other Crown entities that is potentially relevant, see McNeil. As well, the police have a corresponding duty to disclose, quote, all material pertaining to its investigation of the accused, end quote, from McNeil. Such material is often referred to as, quote, the fruits of the investigation, end quote, from McNeil. As well, the police may be required to hand over information beyond the fruits of the investigation where such information is, quote, obviously relevant to the accused case, end quote, from McNeil. 22. The, quote, fruits of the investigation, end quote, refers to the police's investigative file as opposed to operational records or background information. This information is generated or acquired during or as a result of the specific investigation into the charges against the accused. Such information is necessarily captured by first-party slash disclosure.
as it likely includes, quote, relevant, non-privileged information related to the matters that the Crown intends to adduce evidence against the accused, quote, relevant, non-privileged information related to matters the Crown intends to adduce in evidence against the accused, as well as any information in respect of which there is a reasonable possibility that it may assist an accused in the exercise of the right to make full answer in defense. The information may relate to the unfolding of the narrative of the material events, to the credibility of witnesses, or to the reliability of evidence that may be that may form part of the case to meet. In its normal, natural, everyday sense, the phrase, quote, fruits of the investigation, end quote, posits a relationship between the subject matter sought and the investigation that leads to charges against an accused. That's from The Crown Against Jackson, 2015, ONCA 832. 23. In addition to information contained in the investigative file, the police should disclose to the prosecuting crown any information that is, quote, obviously relevant, end quote, to the accused case. The phrase obviously relevant should not be taken as indicating a new standard or degree of relevance. See Jackson. Rather, this phrase similarly describes information that is not within the investigative file, but that would nonetheless be required to be disclosed under Stinchcomb because it relates to the accused's ability to meet the Crown's case, raise a defense, or otherwise consider conduct of the defense. McNeil requires the police to hand such information to the Crown. 24. These qualifiers are significant. As, a, as they contemplate that not all police records will be subject to first-party disclosure. For example, as this court noted in McNeil, Quote, not every finding of police misconduct by an officer involved in the investigation will be of relevance to an accused case, end quote. Similarly, as the Alberta Court of Appeal stated in The Crown Against Black, 2011, ABCA, quote, all McNeil established is that disclosure of police misconduct records where they are obviously relevant is a matter of first-party disclosure. In reaching that conclusion, the Supreme Court likened those types of records relating to convictions for perjury for Crown witnesses. Only records of misconduct that are obviously relevant form a part of first-party disclosure. If the record of police misconduct is not obviously relevant, an accused person can still gain access to it relying on the O'Connor process for third-party disclosure. For all other records held by a public body, including the police, the Stinchcomb-O'Connor distinction continues to be the rule. The police are required to disclose the investigative file as first part of Stinchcomb disclosure and other files or records in the hands of police are subject to the O'Connor process. The police are required to disclose the investigative file as first party Stinchcomb disclosure and other files or records in the hands of the police are subject to the O'Connor process. This would include files relating to complaints of criminal activity by Crown witnesses, and the operational records of the police force or government body from whom records are sought, end quote. From the foregoing, it is evident that there is an operational role for third-party disclosure where the records are neither part of the investigative file nor obviously relevant, therefore not part of first-party disclosure. See McNeil. 25. Third-party disclosure is dealt with in O'Connor. To obtain disclosure of such records, an accused must make a court application. First, 
the burden is on the accused to show that the record is, quote, likely relevant, end quote. Second, where the accused discharges this burden, the judge will examine the record to determine whether and to what extent it should be produced to the accused. 26. Information will be, quote, likely relevant, end quote, where there is, quote, a reasonable possibility that the information is logically probative to an issue at trial or the competence of a witness to testify, end quote, from O'Connor. The likely relevant threshold has been described as significant, but not onerous. See O'Connor. See also McNeil. The reason that the relevance threshold is, quote, significant, end quote, is to allow the court to act as gatekeepers, preventing, quote, speculative, fanciful, disruptive, unmeritorious, obstructive, and time-consuming, end quote, requests for production. That's from O'Connor quoting The Crown Against Chaplin, a 1995 Supreme Court decision. 27. Nonetheless, the burden on the accused is not onerous. Likely relevance is a lower threshold than, quote, true relevance, end quote, and has a, quote, wide and generous connotation, end quote, that, quote, includes information in respect of which there is a reasonable possibility that it may assist the accused in the exercise of the right to make full answer and defense, end quote, from McNeil. See also O'Connor. Only after information has been shown to be likely relevant will the courts assess the actual relevance of the record sought. The courts then consider competing interests at the second stage of an O'Connor application. See McNeil. It may be apparent, quote, upon inspection by the court, that the claim of likely relevance established at the first stage of the O'Connor application is simply not borne out, end quote, from McNeil. 28. There are two reasons why the threshold in an O'Connor application is not onerous. First, the only issue at this stage is likely relevance. The application judge is not determining the admissibility of the records, nor has the judge reached the point at which he or she considers competing interests. See O'Connor. Second, the accused at this stage is in the difficult position of having to make submissions without knowing the contents of the records being sought. See O'Connor. The likely relevance threshold is a first-step inquiry designed to prevent fishing expeditions, but nothing more. 29. To summarize, the two different regimes govern disclosure in criminal cases. Two different regimes govern disclosure in criminal cases. First-party disclosure, as set out in Stinchcomb and supplemented by the duties on the Crown and the investigating police in McNeil, require disclosure of all relevant information upon request. If the Crown refuses disclosure, it bears the burden to show that the information is, quote, clearly irrelevant, end quote. Third-party disclosure, per O'Connor, requires an application to the court for third-party disclosure, where the records sought do not fall under the first-party disclosure, for which the defense bears the burden to show that the record is, quote, likely relevant, end quote. In both instances, the purpose is, quote, to protect an accused person's right to make full answer in defense, while at the same time recognizing the need to place limits on disclosure when required, end quote. That's from World Bank Group and Wallace, 2016, SCC 15. Such limits include avoiding fishing expeditions. Subpart B, which disclosure regime applies, paragraph 30. Canadian courts have differed 
as to which disclosure regime applies to breathalyzer maintenance records. Some courts have decided that maintenance records are first-party records and have ordered disclosure. See The Crown Against Gubins, 2009, ONCJ 80, The Crown Against Low, 2009, ONCJ 307, The Crown Against Klug, 2010, ABPC 88, The Crown Against Christensen, 2011, ABPC 309, The Crown Against Turnbull, 2012, ABPC 45, Kilpatrick, The Crown Against Hootie, 2013, SKPC 122, The Crown Against Panku, 2013, SKPC 47, The Crown Against Martins, 2013, ABPC 349, The Crown Against Carter, 2014, ABPC 291, The Crown Against Oleksiak, 2014, ONCJ 313, The Crown Against Sinclair, 2015, ABQB 113. Although the Crown, in this last case, conceded that the records were first-party records. The reasoning in this line of cases is that maintenance records are both relevant and easy to produce. 31. Other courts have disagreed with this analysis, taking the view that maintenance records are third-party records as they are not always held by the police as part of the investigatory records, nor are they obviously relevant as to whether an instrument malfunctioned or was operated improperly. See The Crown Against Timmins, a 1994 case from the Nova Scotia Court of Appeal. The Crown Against Anutushkin, 1994 case from the British Columbia Court of Appeal. The Crown Against Williams, 2000 BCSC 207. The Crown Against Kierstead, 2004 ABQB 491. The Crown Against Singleton, 2004 Ontario Court of Justice decision. The Crown Against Nicole, 2005 ONCJ 346. The Crown Against Coop Sammy, 2008 ABQB 266. The Crown Against Balfour, 2009, ONCJ 308. The Crown Against Ahmed, 2010, ONCJ 130. The Crown Against Duff, 2010, ABPC 250. And Black. This case dealt with ASD records, not AI records. Sutton. And The Crown Against Warden, 2014, SKPC 143. 32. How should the courts determine whether a record in the possession or control of a state entity is subject to first-party or third-party disclosure. Relevance alone is not determinative. A record may be relevant to the case against an accused and still be a third-party record. 33. Based on the previous discussion of disclosure regimes, to determine which regime is applicable, one should consider first, is the information that is sought in the possession or control of the prosecuting crown, and second, is the nature of the information sought such that the police or another crown entity in possession or control of the information ought to have supplied it to the prosecuting crown. This will be the case if the information can be qualified as being part of the, quote, fruits of the investigation, End quote, or obviously relevant. If an affirmative answer to either of these questions will call for the application of the first party disclosure regime. Otherwise, the third party regime applies. For the reasons that follow, the maintenance records are subject to the third party disclosure regime.
Subpart 1 is the information in the possession or control of the prosecuting crown. Paragraph 34. In these cases, the information sought is not in the possession or control of the crown. Rather, the maintenance records are held by the RCMP and by other third parties. The RCMP keeps certificates of annual inspection, as well as a record indicating when the instrument was sent out for repair. The repairs, however, are done off-site. More extensive records relating to such repairs are kept by third-party service providers. Even in those police departments where repair work is done on-site, this information is not held by the prosecuting crown, so the answer to the first question is no. Subpart 2. Is the nature of the information sought such that the police or another crown entity in possession or control of the information ought to have supplied it to the prosecuting crown? Subsection A. Is the information part of the, quote, fruits of the investigation, end quote. Paragraph 35. The maintenance records are not part of the fruits of the investigation. Rather, they are created as operational records that are not specific to any particular investigation. See Black. On this point, I respectfully differ from the Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta, which held in Kilpatrick that there is no difference between a police officer's notes and a breathalyzer instrument's maintenance records. When the former are specific to the particular investigation and issue, they are clearly part of the investigative record and must be disclosed to the accused. Nonetheless, records that are not part of the fruits of the investigation may nonetheless be subject to first-party disclosure under Stinchcomb disclosure if they are, quote, obviously relevant, end quote, to the accused's case. Subsection B is the information, quote, obviously relevant, end quote. Paragraph 36. Recall the phrase, obviously relevant, does not create a new standard of relevance. Rather, it simply indicates to police that there will be times when they have to disclose information that is outside of the investigative file due to the nature of the information in question. 37. Some lower courts have found that maintenance records meet the obviously relevant threshold by analogy with this court's ruling in McNeil. In other cases, lower courts read this court's ruling in saint ange la to have conclusively determined that maintenance records are relevant. Properly read, I do not take McNeil and saint ange la to stand for these propositions. As well, I am persuaded by the expert evidence in this case, which indicates that the maintenance records are not relevant to determine whether the instrument malfunctioned. I turn now to each of the foregoing. Sub-subsection 1. Relying on the analogy in McNeil is unhelpful. Paragraph 38. Lower courts have often relied on the language in McNeil, suggesting an analogy to perjury. For instance, in Kilpatrick, Queen's Bench, the court stated, quote, In this respect, I consider that there is an analogy between the approved instrument and an investigating police officer. If the credibility of an officer who is expected to provide significant evidence against the accused is of obvious relevance, then the credibility of the approved instrument, which is expected to provide presumptively a conclusive evidence against the accused, must equally be relevant. Indeed, the credibility of a machine whose reliability is given statutory presumptiveness is much harder to challenge than the credibility of an individual who is entitled to no similar presumption, end quote. I would agree with Justice Slatter that this analogy is not apt. The credibility of human witnesses is not commonly assessed by way of expert evidence. 
it is a matter of common sense that a person may lie. Whether a, quote, mechanical witness, end quote, might lie, by contrast, is a technical and scientific manner. Expert evidence may show that certain evidence is not relevant to a machine's reliability. Sub-sub-section 2. Saint-Ange-Lemereux did not determine whether or not maintenance records are relevant. Paragraph 39. The constitutionality of the statutory presumptions in section 258 of the criminal code was the issue in Saint-Ange-Lemereux. Under section 258, once certain statutory preconditions are met, the results of the breathalyzer analyses used in impaired driving-related prosecutions are presumed to be accurate and are presumed to correspond to the accused's blood alcohol content at the time of the alleged offense. The accused can rebut these presumptions with evidence tending to show instrument malfunction or operator error. Properly read, Saint-Ange-Lemereux did not determine that all maintenance records are obviously relevant. In Saint-Ange-Lemereux, this court assumed the records may be relevant, but made no final determination on this point. As well, to the extent that Saint-Ange-Lemereux relied on evidence from the Alcohol Testing Committee in stating this assumption, this no longer reflects the position taken by the committee. 40. Moreover, neither the questions posed by the judges of this court nor the answers given in response shed much light on whether an issue was dealt with in the disposition of a case. This court may decide not to address a particular issue, even if individual members of the court showed interest in it during the hearing. Rather, one must look to the reasons for the decision. In Saint-Ange-Lemereux, the majority of this court expressly declined to determine what evidence was relevant to determining the proper functioning and operation of the breathalyzer instrument. Quote, since the nature and scope of the evidence that might be considered relevant has not been argued on this appeal, it would not be appropriate to rule on the specific limits of that evidence. I will merely note that, in light of the evidence accepted by the trial judge, there are several pieces of evidence that can be provided to a person who is charged under section 253 sub 1 sub b of the criminal code, including the breathalyzer readings, the Qualified Technician Certificate, and the Analyst Certificate concerning the sample of the alcohol standard. End quote. 41. Later, in saint ange the majority reasons note that, quote, although Parliament now requires evidence tending to establish a deficiency in the functioning or operation of the instrument, this does not mean that there are limits on the evidence that can reasonably be used by the accused to raise a doubt in this regard. The accused can request the disclosure of any relevant evidence that is reasonably available in order to be able to present a real defense. If the prosecution denies such a request, the accused can invoke the rules on non-disclosure and the available remedies for non-disclosure. See The Crown Against O'Connor, 1995 Supreme Court case. In short, the accused might rely, for example, on the maintenance log that shows that the instrument was not maintained properly or on admissions by the technician that there had been erratic results or he or she might argue that health problems had affected the functioning of the instrument. See the Crown Against Chasm, 2011, ABCA 366, end quote. This paragraph must be read in context. First, it states that only relevant evidence may be requested. 
there is no indication that the court intended for defense counsel to be able to make unwarranted requests for irrelevant documents. Second, the passage must be read in light of the court's earlier statement at paragraph 42 that the scope and nature of relevant evidence had not been argued in the case. Third, the citation to O'Connor indicates that the court contemplated that materials such as the maintenance logs might be available as third-party records. While this was not settled in saint ange la in my view, the foregoing passage indicates an awareness that the defense might have to make an application for the production of such records. 45. Further, the presumption of accuracy in section 258 sub 1 sub c of the criminal code reads, quote, in any proceedings under subsection 255-1, in respect of which in respect of an offense committed under section 253 or subsection 254-5, or in any proceedings under any of subsections 255 to 3.2, C, where samples of breath of the accused have been taken pursuant to a demand made under subsection 254-3, if 1, repealed before coming into force. 2. Each sample was taken as soon as practicable, after the time when the offense was alleged to have been committed, and, in the case of the first sample, no later than two hours after that time, with an interval of at least 15 minutes between the times when the samples were taken. 3. Each sample was received from the accused directly into the approved container or into an approved instrument operated by a qualified technician. And 4. An analysis of each sample was made by means of an improved instrument operated by a qualified technician. Evidence of the results of the analyses so made is conclusive proof that the concentration of alcohol in the accused blood, both at the time when the analyses were made and at the time of the offense was alleged to have been committed, was, if the results of the analyses are the same, the concentration determined by the analyses, and if the results of the analyses are different, the lowest of the concentrations determined by the analyses, an absence of evidence tending to show that the approved instrument was malfunctioning or operated improperly. End quote. 43. The language of section 258 sub 1 sub c contemplates receiving evidence that the approved instrument, quote, was malfunctioning or was operated improperly, end quote. There was no reference to maintenance. Parliament did not expressly contemplate that the presumption of accuracy will be rebutted based on evidence as to the maintenance of the approved instrument. As the majority of the Court of Appeal correctly noted, quote, it is not a defense to prove that the instrument was improperly maintained, nor that maintenance records were not kept in a particular format, end quote. The majority reasons of this court in saint ange la should not be read as creating a new defense beyond those provided in the statutory scheme. What matters is whether evidence as to the maintenance of the instrument is relevant to its functioning or proper operation on the occasion when the accused breath samples were tested. 44. This brings me to the second point. This court did not have the benefit of the Alcohol Test Committee's current position on the relevance of maintenance records to instrument reliability. In saint ange this court considered the Alcohol Test Committee's recommended standards and procedures, which included inter alia annual maintenance. 
1945. In 2012, the Alcohol Test Committee updated the recommendation. In a position paper published by the Canadian Society of Forensic Science on the documentation required for assessing the accuracy and reliability of, of approved instruments, the committee stated, quote, Records relating to periodic maintenance or inspections cannot address the working status of an AI, approved instrument, at the time of a breath test procedure, and are intentionally absent from the requirements listed above. Thus, while a failure to adhere to such quality assurance measures could lead to instrument malfunction, this occurrence will be detectable by the quality control tests done during the breath test procedure. Similarly, data collected both prior to and after the subject tests, or an examination of the approved instrument subsequent to the subject test, do not further assist in determining the reliability and accuracy of an AI during a specific breath test procedure. End quote. That's from the Canadian Society of Forensic Science, Alcohol Test Committee Position Paper, Documentation Required for Assessing the Accuracy and Reliability of Approved Instrument Breath Alcohol Test Results, 2012, published in the Canadian Society of Forensic Science Journal. Thus, to the extent that this court relied on the ATC's recommended standards, for the court's assumption that maintenance is relevant to the test's results reliability, this evidence has since been qualified. Sub sub section 3. The expert evidence indicates that the maintenance records are not obviously relevant. Paragraph 46. The introduction of expert evidence to assist the court in determining relevance in these appeals is a key factor distinguishing the present cases from some earlier authorities that held that the maintenance records were relevant and thus subject to Stinchcomb disclosure. For example, in Kilpatrick, which was decided after Saint-Ange-Lambert, the Court of Appeal of Alberta denied leave to appeal, upholding a decision in which it was found that the maintenance records were relevant. However, the court noted that the evidentiary record was, quote, sparse, end quote, and it contained, quote, no expert evidence nor any other evidence relative to the operation of the breathalyzer, nor was there any evidence regarding the multiple internal tests carried out by the approved instrument, which it is argued made production of records irrelevant, end quote. This suggests that appellate courts did not consider Saint-Ange-Lambert to have conclusively determined the issue of relevance, as they were asking for more evidence on this point. I read Saint-Ange-Lamoureux similarly, as I indicated above. 47. The expert evidence in this case supports the view that the maintenance records are not relevant to the reliability of the improved instruments. As outlined in paragraph 4 above, breathalyzer machines are subject to a number of internal and external controls. The records that are obviously relevant to the functioning of the instrument are the time-of-test records. The statutory presumption of accuracy refers to the specific results generated by the instrument at that time. The only question that must be answered is whether the machines were operating properly at the time of the test, not before or after. The time of test records directly deal with this. The maintenance records, according to the expert evidence, do not. 48. The machines are designed to produce a fail reading when they malfunction. Indeed, a fail reading indicates that the machines are reliable, 
not unreliable, and that they indicate when they are malfunctioning. The specter looming over this case is the possibility of false positives. In other words, might the machines be malfunctioning when they appear to be working properly, and that they passed all of the internal and external controls? I agree with Justice Slatter that this is highly unlikely, and in any case, the maintenance records cannot tell us whether any particular result is a false positive. As Ms. Blake, a forensic alcohol specialist, testified, quote, although maintenance records should be kept, they cannot be used to determine whether an error has or will occur on any given test or at any given time, end quote. And that's from the record in Gubbins. Even if there is a real and not merely speculative risk that the instruments may malfunction, the evidence in this case is that such errors would be discernible as a result of the controls built into the instruments themselves. 49. The appellants suggest that Ms. Blake's evidence should be rejected, as it was by the trial judge in Gubbins. In drawing this conclusion, the trial judge relied on the fact that conflicting expert evidence was introduced in other cases, including Sutton and the Crown Against Lamb, 2004, ONCJ 247. The trial judge cited Sutton for the proposition that, quote, instinct and intuition, end quote, led her to believe that the maintenance records may be relevant. To the extent that the trial judge in Gubbins relied on evidence not before her to assess, to assess the accuracy of the expert's opinion, this was an error. It is also an error to rely on, quote, instinct and intuition, end quote, in the face of unequivocal expert evidence to the contrary a fortiori, where one is dealing with a technical or scientific question. The existence of maintenance records and the fact that the instrument underwent maintenance from time to time is not sufficient to justify the disclosure. This is even more apparent when one considers the sweep and scope of the records sought in these cases. Can the fact that an instrument was sent for annual maintenance a decade earlier be relevant to its functioning on a particular occasion on which it passed all of the required internal and external checks? The answer, logically and analytically, rather than instinctively and intuitively, must be no. 50. My colleague suggests that expert evidence would only have to be called by the defense after disclosure, since Saint-Anche-Lamoureux establishes the relevance of these records. I would respectfully disagree. While the maintenance records are certainly relevant to whether the instrument was maintained properly, the expert evidence is that the maintenance of the instrument on a given day is not material to the instrument's functioning or proper operation at the time of testing. Thus, the requested records are not obviously relevant to a material issue in the present case. 51. Defense counsel for Mr. Valent Good argued that they did not have an opportunity to cross-examine Ms. Blake on her affidavit evidence, so her evidence should not be accepted. However, the trial judge and the summary conviction appeal judge both noted that it is not accurate that the defense had no opportunity to cross-examine Ms. Blake. Rather, they chose not to delay the proceedings in order to do so, given their client's license suspension. That was the choice made by defense counsel. Subsection 3, Conclusion Paragraph 52. From the foregoing, I conclude that the requested records are not part of first-party disclosure. They are not in the possession or control of the prosecuting crown. They do not form part of the, quote, fruits of the investigation, end quote. And the evidence in this case, 
is that the maintenance records are not, quote, obviously relevant, end quote, to the cases of the accused Mr. Gubbins and Mr. Valentgood. It follows that the standard to be met is that set out in O'Connor. The maintenance records are subject to the third-party disclosure regime. 53. This conclusion is consistent with the purpose of the overall disclosure regime, which is to provide the accused with relevant information while preventing fishing expeditions and other dilatory requests for information. The companion case to this appeal, the Crown against Awashish, 2018 SEC 45, originally involved a defense request for 50 additional pieces of disclosure. My colleagues' reasons do little to address these problems. The implication of this would the implication of this would be that fishing expeditions would continue. In many other cases, the accused has obtained a stay of proceedings on the basis that the Crown refused to disclose maintenance records even though the accused blew over 80, and the breathalyzer instrument did not register a fail. Such a result fails to respect the intention of Parliament to create a statutory presumption of accuracy in the instruments. Subpart C. Applying the O'Connor Standard. Paragraph 54. Having determined that the applicable regime is set out in O'Connor, the question now is whether the maintenance records have been shown to be likely relevant to, in this case. Based on the evidence before the courts below, the answer is no. 55. It is worth noting that the expert evidence in both Valent, Good, and Gubbins was presented only by the Crown. Its expert evidence was not countered by the defense by any defense expert. I would note the following statement in Saint-Ange-Lemoureux at paragraph 47, quote, The limits that flow from the requirement have a significant effect on the defenses available to the accused, as it is now more difficult to rebut the presumptions. The evidence to be adduced is more complex. The accused must retain a technician or an expert to determine whether the instrument malfunctioned or was operated improperly. It is impossible for a layperson to do this. However, it should be borne in mind that the Carter defenses also required the accused to retain an expert. End quote. 56. And at paragraph 57, quote, The scheme that has existed since the statutory amendments came into force is designed to require the prosecution to adduce technical evidence to counter an attempt to rebut the presumption of accuracy. An accused who produces evidence to rebut one of these presumptions will do so by calling an expert, and the prosecution will have to call a technician and possibly an expert, end quote. 57. The majority of this court contemplated in Saint-Ange-Lamoureux that rebutting the statutory presumption of accuracy in section 258, sub 1, sub c, would likely require expert evidence. No such evidence was put forward in this case. Neither accused attempted to provide an expert opinion on how maintenance records might be relevant to the key material issue in this case, determining whether an instrument was malfunctioning or operated improperly. In the absence of any such evidence, the expert evidence of the Crown is persuasive that the maintenance records are not relevant. By its nature, this is a technical and scientific question, not a matter of doctrine. If in some future proceedings, an accused leads persuasive evidence that maintenance records are, quote, likely relevant, end quote, then disclosure may be ordered. 58. One final argument raised by the accused should be addressed. 
My conclusion that the maintenance records are subject to third-party disclosure does not put the constitutionality of Section 258 sub 1 sub c in jeopardy, as my colleague argues. As indicated in Saint-Ange-Lamoureux, a defense is not illusory, simply because accused persons will rarely succeed in raising a reasonable doubt by using it. There are records that are obviously relevant to the malfunctioning of the instrument, the time of test records. These, along with the testimony from the technician or the officer involved, are the evidence that the accused may use to rebut the presumption of accuracy. As well, as indicated above, maintenance records may be available to the defense where it can show that such records are likely to have a material issue in the case. The majority of this court in saint ange la was aware of the possibility that such records might be obtained by way of an O'Connor application. See saint ange la This does not affect the constitutionality of the provision. Part 6. Conclusion. Paragraph 59. In Valent Good, the trial judge did not err when he held that the records sought were subject to third-party disclosure and that the threshold of likely relevance was not met. I would affirm Mr. Valentgood's conviction. In Gubbins, the trial judge erred in granting a stay. I would dismiss the appeal and remit the matter for a new trial. 60. I would dismiss the appeals. The following are the reasons delivered by Justice Cote. Paragraph 61. While I accept my colleague Justice Rowe's statement of the law as it pertains to the two disclosure regimes set out by this court in the Crown against Stinchcombe, 1991 Supreme Court decision, and the Crown against O'Connor, 1995 Supreme Court decision, I disagree on its application. 62. I am of the view that maintenance records are, quote, obviously relevant, end quote, to rebutting the statutory presumption of accuracy established by Section 258 of the Criminal Code. The maintenance of approved instruments was central to this Court's reasoning in The Crown Against saint ange la 2012, SCC 57, in which the constitutionality of this provision was upheld. To conclude that maintenance reports are not available under first-party disclosure would upset the delicate balance struck by this court in determining that the infringement of the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty, guaranteed by Section 11D of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, was justified. Since such records are obviously relevant, they are subject to first-party disclosure. In my view, this ensures that the defense has a minimum evidentiary basis upon which it may attempt to establish that an instrument was malfunctioning. This opportunity is guaranteed by the criminal code and underlies the majority of this court's reasons in saint ange le 63. My analysis will proceed as follows. I begin by providing an overview of saint ange le While I recognize that the main issue in that appeal did not pertain to the disclosure of records, I will show that the court's reasoning is highly relevant to the matter before us. In my view, central to this court's decision upholding the constitutionality of the provisions at issue in that case was the assumption that an approved insurance maintenance history was relevant to rebutting the presumption that it produced accurate results. I will continue by comparing the submissions and evidentiary record before the court in saint ange la and in the present appeal. 
Though this court in saint ange le marie did not have the benefit of an updated position of the Alcohol Test Committee, ATC, on which the respondent now relies, it did have before it the substance of that position. Even so, the majority's justifactory analysis assumed the relevance and availability of maintenance records. My colleague's approach, which requires the defense to request maintenance records by way of an O'Connor application, risks making the possibility of raising a doubt as to an approved device's functioning illusory. This approach is contrary to Parliament's intent and, in my view, upsets the balance achieved in St. ange la -Moreux. Part 1. Analysis. Paragraph 64. In St. ange la -Moreux, this court considered the constitutionality of certain provisions of the scheme applicable to prosecutions for driving with a blood alcohol level over the legal limit. The challenge related to section 258 of the Criminal Code, which establishes presumptions of accuracy and identity for the results of breath testing and, more particularly, to the constitutionality of the amendments limiting the type of evidence that could be adduced to rebut these statutory presumptions. Before going further, I note that the disclosure requested in this appeal is meant to aid the defense in rebutting the presumption of accuracy. According to these amendments, in order to succeed in rebutting the presumption of accuracy, the defense was required to produce evidence tending to, first, raise a doubt that an instrument was functioning or operating properly, second, show that the malfunction or improper operation of the instrument resulted in the determination that the accused's blood alcohol level exceeded the legal limit, and third, show that the accused's blood alcohol level would not, in fact, have exceeded that legal limit and third, show that the accused's blood alcohol level would not in fact have exceeded that limit at the time when the offense was alleged to have been committed. See Saint-Ange-la-Moreux. 65. The court's decision, which affirmed in part the constitutionality of this scheme, was largely predicated on striking a balance between Parliament's pressing and substantial objective, giving breath alcohol testing results a weight consistent with their scientific value, and the minimal impairment of the accused's rights. 66. The court began by considering whether the three requirements were consistent with the right to be presumed innocent. It relied on expert evidence to the effect that, quote, the possibility of an instrument malfunctioning or being used improperly when breath samples are taken is not merely speculative, but is very real, end quote and that, quote, the calibration and maintenance of instruments are essential to the integrity of the breath test program, end quote. The Crown had been unable to demonstrate that, quote, the rate of failure attributable to improper maintenance or operation is insignificant, end quote. In light of these findings, the court was of the view that a trier of fact could entertain a reasonable doubt about the validity of test results, but, quote, nevertheless remain bound by the statutory presumptions, end quote, and, quote, be required to convict the accused unless the accused rebuts those presumptions in accordance with the statutory requirements, end quote. On this basis, the court found that sections 258 sub 1 sub c and 258 sub 1 sub d.01 infringe section 11d of the charter. 67. The court then turned to the important question of whether the infringement was justified. 
It framed its analysis by expressly stating that, quote, the means available to the accused to rebut the presumption, end quote, and more particularly, quote, whether it is possible and how easy it is for the accused to rebut the presumption, end quote, were relevant to its determination at this stage. In other words, the court's primary concern was ensuring that accused persons retained a viable means of rebutting the statutory presumption in spite of the limits imposed on the evidence that could be adduced for that purpose. 68. In light of the ample proof of the reliability of the approved instruments, the court acknowledged the pressing and substantial objective of giving the results a weight consistent with their scientific value. That being said, the court found only the first requirement of section 258 sub 1 sub c, that is, evidence of the malfunction or improper operation of the instrument, to be justified. The court struck down the second and third requirements on the basis that the second imposed and, quote, excessive burden, end quote, on the accused, and the third was not rationally connected with Parliament's objective. 69. In upholding the first requirement, the court considered both the means available to the accused to rebut the presumption of accuracy and how difficult it was for the accused to do so. First, the provisions did not make it impossible for an accused to disprove the test results. This could be accomplished by raising deficiencies in either the operation or the maintenance of an instrument. Quote, it should be mentioned that the new provisions do not make it impossible to disprove the test results. Rather, Parliament has recognized that the results will be reliable only if instruments are operated and maintained properly, and that there might be deficiencies in the maintenance of instruments or in the test process. What the new provisions require is that evidence tending to cast doubt on the reliability of the results relate directly to such deficiencies. End quote. In addition to finding that the accused could rebut the presumption by identifying deficiencies in the instrument's maintenance, the court assumed that information permitting to the accused to raise such a concern would be readily available to him or her. It found that, quote, in light of the evidence accepted by the trial judge, there are several pieces of evidence that can be provided, quote, end quote, to the accused and that though the accused, quote, must retain a technician or expert to determine whether the instrument malfunctioned or was operated improperly, end quote, quote, the prosecution must, of course, disclose certain information concerning the maintenance and operation of the instrument, end quote. In my view, the only possible reading of these passages is that the court considered maintenance records to be included in the Crown's disclosure obligation without the defense needing to put forward expert evidence to that effect. It seems to me that the court considered such evidence to be required only to address the substantive issues of whether the instrument malfunctioned or was operated improperly. 70. Having concluded on this basis that only the first requirement imposed a justified limit on Section 11D of the Charter, the court went on to consider the viability of the requirement in relation to the right to make full answer in defense guaranteed by Section 7 of the Charter. Notably, the defense argued that the new provisions created a defense that was so difficult to attain as to be practically illusory. The court rejected this argument. It found that the requirement did not limit the evidence that could be used to establish a deficiency in the functioning or operation of the instrument, and that, quote, the accused can request the disclosure of any relevant evidence that is reasonably available in order to be able to present a real defense, end quote. 
It is noteworthy that when it made this statement, the court had already stated that the prosecution, quote, must, of course, end quote, disclose certain information concerning the maintenance of approved instruments, which it reaffirmed in disposing of the Section 7 argument by indicating that the accused right might rely, quote, on the maintenance log that shows that the instrument was not maintained properly, end quote. 71. I agree with what Justice Robotham, dissenting, states at paragraph 101 of her reasons, quote, in light of Justice Deschamps' analysis, it cannot be said that the discussion of the relevance of the maintenance records in Saint-Ange-Lamoureux was peripheral to the court's conclusion, end quote. In my view, the court's reasoning in Saint-Ange-Lamoureux was dependent in large part on two assumptions. First, that one means available to the accused to raise a doubt as to the functioning of an instrument was by raising deficiencies in its maintenance, and two, that the evidentiary basis for such a defense would be readily available to the accused. As I explained below, this is confirmed by an examination of the record and submissions before the court in Saint-Ange-la-Moreux. 72. Importantly, these assumptions emerged from an extensive evidentiary record. As noted at paragraph 35 of Saint-Ange-la-Moreux, the parties to the appeal had consented to the filing of evidence adduced in the Crown Against Joulet, 2010, QCCQ 7719, a case heard by Judge Chapdelin, who also presided over the trial of Ms. Saint-Ange-Lamoureux. In Joulet, the Attorney General of Quebec and the interveners, the Barreau du Québec and the Association Québécoise des Avocats et Avocates de la Défense, had each filed extensive expert evidence pertaining to the functioning and operation of approved instruments. The fact that the parties consented to the use of expert evidence adduced in Droulet does not surprise me, given how detailed and balanced it was. 73. My colleague, Justice Rowe, would depart from the assumptions underlying Saint-Ange-Lamoureux on the basis that, quote, this court in Saint-Ange-Lamoureux did not have the benefit of the Alcohol Test Committee's current position on the relevance of maintenance records to instrument reliability, end quote. I respectfully disagree. 74. In 2009, the ATC published the, quote, Recommended Standards and Procedures of the Canadian Society of Forensic Science Alcohol Test Committee, end quote, in the Canadian Society for Forensic Science Journal. This was the version of the recommended standards and procedures for alcohol testing that was before the court when it decided Saint-Ange-la-Moreux. It addressed, it addressed the question of maintenance as follows. Quote, Proper calibration and or calibration check procedures are the primary means of assuring accuracy of the approved instrument, approved screening device, and accessory equipment at the time of use. Calibration of approved instruments shall be done with a wet bath simulator. In addition, these calibrations and or calibration checks, formal maintenance procedures, are essential. In addition to these calibration and or calibration checks, formal maintenance procedures are essential to the integrity of the breadth test program." End quote. The ATC continues to endorse this statement, on which the court relied at paragraph 25 of saint ange la -Moreux. My colleague acknowledges 
that the ATC has only qualified this statement in its updated publication. Quote, Proper calibration and or calibration check procedures are the primary means of assuring accuracy of the approved instrument, approved screening device, and accessory equipment at the time of use. Calibration of approved instruments and approved screening devices shall be done with an aqueous alcohol standard. In addition to these calibrations and or calibration checks, formal maintenance procedures are essential to the integrity of the breath test program. Records relating to periodic maintenance or inspections cannot address the working status of an approved instrument at the time of a breath test. The required quality control information which must be reviewed to assess the working order of an approved instrument is produced during the subject breath testing procedure. End quote. From the Canadian Society of Forensic Science. In Canadian Society of Forensic Science Alcohol Test Committee Recommended Best Practices for Breath Alcohol Testing Program, 2004 Canadian Society of Forensic Science Journal. 75. Just as the court's just as the courts subject experts to special scrutiny before allowing them to opine on the, quote, ultimate issue, end quote, in a dispute, see the Crown against Mohan, a 1994 Supreme Court case, so should this court exercise caution in this case when considering the extent to which the ATC's updated recommendations are determinative of the relevance of maintenance records, a question of law that is to be decided by the courts. Such caution is particularly warranted in light of the ATC's composition, as explained by Judge Henderson in The Crown Against Sutton, 2013 ABPC 308. I caution myself that the Alcohol Test Committee is not a truly independent body of scientific experts who offer purely objective opinions on topics relating to breath-testing instruments. The Alcohol Test Committee is comprised of scientists who have direct connections with and are employed by policing services and government agencies. Five of the ten members of the committee are employed by RCMP labs across the country. Four of the remaining five members are employed by government agencies. The fact that the expert opinion of a member of the ATC, Ms. Blake, is the only one before this court in the present appeal, while the position of experts that may disagree with her on the relevance of maintenance records is notably absent from the record, is further cause for caution. I note that Ms. Blake and another witness tendered by the Crown have, in the past, admitted that, quote, not all experts agree with them on this issue, end quote, and that's from Sutton. 76. In my respectful view, such caution is not reflected in an approach that relies on the ATC's updated recommendations to conclude that maintenance records are not relevant. In saint ange les moreux it was assumed on the basis of a fulsome evidentiary record that maintenance records were relevant to rebutting the presumption at issue, and the impugned scheme's constitutionality was confirmed on this basis. Aside from the updated statement from the ATC, which has not been shown to be the product of new scientific evidence of any kind, there is no new evidentiary basis in the present case for calling the court's assumption in saint ange la moreux into question. In light of this context, I remain unconvinced that the wisdom of our recent jurisprudence should be so easily swept away. 77. Moreover, I am persuaded that although the ATC's updated recommendations were not published until after saint ange la moreux was decided, 
their substance to the effect that only time-of-test controls are capable of showing that an instrument was, was malfunctioning was considered by this court and the lower courts in saint ange la marie In Trollet, Juge Chapdelain accepted the evidence of the Crown's experts that, quote, in principle, the diagnosis and control procedures for the instruments ensure their proper functioning and the reliability of their results, end quote. A similar expert opinion was put forward by Randy Prokopanko, himself a member of the ATC, before the Standing Senate Committee on Legal and Constitutional Affairs on February 20, 2008, when it was considering Bill C-2, the Tackling Violent Crime Act. Asked how an accused could discharge his or her burden of proving that an instrument had malfunctioned, Mr. Prokopanko stated, quote, I have confidence. Not that it cannot malfunction, but that if it does, that that will show up in our test procedure, and that you will have not, and that you will not have gotten to the point of accepting a breath sample. End quote. From Proceedings of the Standing Committee on Legal and Constitutional Affairs, Number Eight, Second Session of the Thirty Ninth Parliament, Two Thousand Eight, February Twentieth. I note that Mr. Prokopenko admitted before the Senate committee that maintenance records should be disclosed to the accused. In Saint-Ange-les-Mareux, a similar position was taken by the Attorney General of Quebec in oral submissions before this court. Translation, quote, But the cornerstone, what permits to determine whether the instrument is not functioning properly, is the control test. It's the test that determines this. It's the test that is the cornerstone and the guarantee we have that the instrument is functioning reliably, end quote. 78. Both in Droulet and Saint-Ange-Lambreux, the relevance of the maintenance records was assumed despite such submissions. In Droulet, Jules Chapdelain, having accepted that control mechanisms should ensure the reliability of instruments quote, in principle, end quote, noted that, quote, one of the experts stated that the degree of reliability or even infallibility that people seem to want to attribute to instruments does not take sufficient account of the degree of overall compliance with usage procedures and protocols, end quote. This led him to find that, quote, the validity of the process by which breath samples are obtained for reliable testing depends in large part on competent, adequately trained staff, and a regular preventative maintenance program, end quote. 79. Similarly, despite submissions before this court in saint ange la marie to the effect that internal and external controls are the cornerstone of reliability of these instruments, members of the court expressed concerns during the hearing about whether the accused would have access to maintenance records. Quote, translation, Mr. Justice Lebel, could the accused have access to these maintenance records through a disclosure request? Mr. Deom, that is an excellent question, which, and I'll admit this to you candidly, I have avoided before trial judges because, in fact, for one basic reason, because the question of disclosure is one that arises in a very, very specific context with, well, I'm going to answer it, but with specific information. My answer, if the maintenance records exist, the accused should have access to it. It is something 
Mr. Justice LaBelle. You say if it exists. Wouldn't this system presuppose, in order to operate with a minimum of, say, fairness for accused persons, that the record does in fact exist, and that the accused can have access to it? Because you say, for example, I am quite prepared to accept your position on this, you say that maintenance is always done in such a way, that standards are in place, that all of this guarantees not the infallibility, but let's say the reliability of the instrument. But if there's no record, what can establish these factors? Mr. Diem, you're referring to the factors that may cause the court to have reasonable doubt? Well, it is because I would say that, in myself, the maintenance record is certainly relevant evidence under a disclosure request. What is the real probative value? That's a different matter, since it depends on a set of circumstances. Mr. Justice LaBelle, let's say, for example, if the maintenance record, if the examination of the maintenance record shows, in fact, that there is no maintenance, that the scheduled checks have not been done, and does the record indicate uh, who operates the instruments? Mr. Diem, well, in fact, the maintenance records I've seen, and I've seen a number of them, do not all have the same content. Many municipal police forces actually have no maintenance records. The records are with the distributor responsible for maintaining the instruments. The distributor keeps records on this. Some police forces have maintenance records designed around several parameters, but I would like to stress one point, Justice LaBelle. If, for instance, my instrument was maintained last February or even last September, this does not guarantee that it is functioning properly today, apart from the control test being accepted or not. Madam Justice Deschamps, and how can accused persons have access to these control tests? Mr. Diem, the control test, or rather the printout made by the instrument, gives the result of the blank test. Because there is a blank test used to purge the system, it gives the result from the sample taken. The accused is generally given this information in a short time after blowing into the instrument. End quote. 80. This passage is significant. First, it shows that certain members of the court were concerned about ensuring that the accused had an evidentiary basis for rebutting the presumption of accuracy. Second, it shows that the Attorney General of Quebec insisted that all that was needed to show that an instrument was functioning at the time was the time of test records printed by the instrument itself. Third, it shows that despite taking this position, the Attorney General of Quebec conceded that maintenance records were relevant quote, certainly relevant evidence, end quote, and subject to either the Stinchcomb or the O'Connor disclosure regime. As mentioned, this is something that Mr. Prokopenko also admitted before the Senate committee, considering Bill C-2. 81. At paragraph 40 of his reasons, my colleague questions the utility of referring to these passages. Though it goes without saying that they do not carry the authority of the court's reasons, they can assist us in understanding these reasons by providing contexts. It is within this context, and in light of the extensive factual record in Droulet, that the court's comments on the importance of maintenance and the availability of maintenance records in Saint-Ange-Lemoureux must be understood. Despite the Attorney General's position that only time-of-test records were relevant to the question of whether an instrument had functioned properly, the court concluded that the impugned scheme was constitutional on the assumption that the accused would have the opportunity to raise a reasonable doubt as to the instrument's functioning on the basis of its maintenance and would 
quote, of course, end quote, be provided with an evidentiary basis to do so. 82. My concern is that by deciding at this point that maintenance records are irrelevant and therefore not available under the first party disclosure, my colleague would upset the delicate balance struck in St. ange la and put the very constitutionality of section 258 sub 1 sub c back into question. 83. I am also concerned that my colleague's approach, which accepts that the only records that are, quote, obviously relevant to the functioning of the instrument are the time of test records, end quote, effectively denies the accused the opportunity to rebut the presumption of accuracy by raising a doubt as to the proper functioning of the machine. The criminal code provides that the presumption of accuracy may be rebutted by evidence tending to show, quote, that the approved instrument was malfunctioning or was operated improperly, end quote. That's section 258 sub 1 sub c. Holding that only time of test records produced by the machine can demonstrate that the instrument was malfunctioning effectively assumes that the machine is infallible. With respect, I find this difficult to reconcile with this court's reasoning in saint henri flambeur which recognized that, quote, the possibility of an instrument malfunctioning is not merely speculative, but is very real, end quote. Furthermore, this approach limits the defense's opportunity to rebut the presumption of accuracy by confining to it to arguments raising a doubt as to the instrument's operation. It is reasonable to assume that if there are any deficiencies in the time of test records produced by the machine, the Crown will not press charges. In these circumstances, if evidence other than the time of test results is irrelevant, the accused will never be able to successfully defend against the charge on the basis that the instrument malfunctioned. This runs contrary to Parliament's intent to make malfunctioning and improper operation two distinct grounds for rebutting the presumption of accuracy. It also upsets the balance struck by this court in saint ange la in determining that the violation of the right to be presumed innocent guaranteed by Section 11D of the Charter was justified. 84. My colleague concludes that requests for disclosure of maintenance records fall under the O'Connor regime. I respectfully disagree. Saying that maintenance records are available under third-party disclosure ignores the fact that this recourse would, in practice, be illusory. In my view, it is difficult to understand how an expert could opine on the, quote, likely relevance, end quote, of maintenance records without first examining them and identifying specific deficiencies that may be used to prove an instrument malfunctioned. As stated by my colleague, the O'Connor standard is, quote, not onerous, end quote, but is nevertheless, quote, significant, end quote. It is meant to allow courts to act as gatekeepers, avoiding speculative requests for production. See O'Connor quoting from the Crown Against Chaplin, 1995 Supreme Court case. In my view, requiring the disclosure of maintenance records to be sought under the O'Connor regime opens the door to the very, quote, fishing expeditions, end quote, we are seeking to avoid. Although Saint-Ange-Lembreux made it clear that expert evidence would be needed, quote, to determine whether the instrument malfunctioned, end quote, it did not suggest that expert evidence would be needed for disclosure purposes, since it assumed that maintenance records would, quote, of course, end quote, be disclosed. For an accused to have a real opportunity, and not only a theoretical one to show an instrument was malfunctioning, an expert must have an evidentiary basis either to opine as to the possibility that an instrument malfunctioned, or to establish that 
the, quote, likely relevance, end quote, of the other information sought through additional third-party disclosure. Providing nothing by the way of first-party disclosure forces accused persons and their experts resort to conjecture and speculation and undermines the promise of saint ange la 85. This is in no way inconsistent with paragraph 78 of saint ange la With respect, my colleague gives this passage which cites O'Connor too much weight. It certainly does not say that maintenance logs will only be available as third-party records, and it should not be held out as supporting this conclusion. It simply reaffirms that any evidence tending to establish a deficiency in the functioning or operation of an instrument will be available to the accused according to the established rules of disclosure. First-party records will be disclosed as per the Crown's duty under Stinchcomb, and third-party records may be requested by an accused under O'Connor. 86. Finally, it is my view that disclosing maintenance records as first-party records is not only consistent with saint ange Lamoureux, but also serves the interests of justice. Where maintenance records reveal no issue, their disclosure may compel the accused to plead guilty. Where they reveal certain issues, and an expert is of the opinion that these issues may prove that the instrument malfunctioned, the maintenance records provide an, a basis for the accused to raise such a defense, or to make subsequent O'Connor requests in a grounded, non-speculative manner. Part 2. Conclusion. Paragraph 87. For all these reasons, I would conclude that maintenance records are subject to first-party stinchcomb disclosure. I agree with Justice Robotham, dissenting at paragraph 124, that maintenance records, quote, should include the results of all inspections and documentation of the maintenance history, including records of parts replaced and approved modifications to hardware and software, end quote, as per the ATC's 2004 recommendation. Any further disclosure arising from information in the maintenance records must be sought through an O'Connor application. 88. Contrary to what my colleague argues at paragraph 53 of his reasons, this approach would prevent fishing expeditions and other dilatory requests for information. It clearly defines the scope of first-party disclosure where prior jurisprudence was ambiguous. Moreover, it requires that the accused set out an evidentiary basis for any third-party disclosure. To use my colleague's example, the request for additional pieces of disclosure in the Crown Against Awashish 2018 SCC 45 would have failed insofar as the requested information fell outside the scope of, quote, maintenance records, end quote, and the accused failed to put forward any evidentiary basis for the request. 89. For these reasons, I would allow the appeals. 90. In Valent Good, case number 37403, the trial judge erred in not ordering the production of the requested records insofar as they fell within the scope of, quote, maintenance records, end quote, as defined by the ATC's recommended standards. I would order the disclosure of the requested records falling within this scope, quash the conviction, and remit the matter for a new trial following such disclosure. In Gubbins, file number 37395, the stay of proceedings should be restored. Appeals dismissed. Justice Cote dissenting.